0: morning, and I will see if I can get all the modern technology to work for me. Um, As we are here this morning, just I want to say thank you, first and foremost. Churches like this one that have supported us, Um, some of you here may have met us and been aware of us since the previous millennium. Others, maybe this is the first time. So as we take a few moments to share about who we are and what your ministry through us in Peru is, as you can see the picture, um, my wife and I, Virgie, have two children, and our daughter, Hannah, has given us two grandchildren. So we enjoy being with them. We actually got to be with them more than anticipated during COVID, and um, yes, COVID, I could give you a big report about what happened, but as mentioned, uh, Hannah and Willie with our two grandkiddos, and then Jason and Lisa who are serving in Romania as missionaries. The Lord has blessed us with children who are following in the steps of godly people and we're thankful for that. As mentioned, COVID. Um, During the pandemic, Iquitos saw some changes. Um, For one thing, many of the missionaries, including from our mission as well as others, did end up evacuating. Iquitos suffered a lot from COVID. During that time, as we returned, we discovered that a mall is finally being constructed one of the last major cities of, of Peru to have a mall. But another thing that was happening was what is considered the longest bridge in Peru was being constructed and is now finished. So the next slide, you get a chance to see the new bridge, but you need to pay careful attention. There will be a quiz following of what you saw or what maybe you didn't see. So look for the strange and unusual, but... Um, And again, the song, pay attention to the words of the song, it fits with what we've already heard this morning as well as what I'll share from the word. So I don't know if you noticed, but um, that's a bridge, nice new modern bridge. And uh, do you see where it went? Kind of ended there, somewhat of a dead end. So as you contemplate the purpose of a bridge, um, we don't often think about bridges that much, but are they designed to connect or divide? Are they for a transition or just for contemplation? A place to go look around and see the scenery. Does it improve or degrade the society, the culture? Is it to unite or maybe separate, to help or hinder? Do you think of a bridge as just simply ending in a dead end? So as we use that motif of a bridge talk about our ministry, we are currently the directors of a Bible institute in Iquitos. Um, As was mentioned, the year that ended in December, our school year, a little different from the school year here, We go from March through December. So we're actually just getting ready to start the new year. And we're hoping that we get all 55 students back. We'll see. But as as a ministry, we are involved with the Bible Institute, teaching, training, and um, offering it as a place for other meetings. Maybe you also notice some changes. Not as obvious, but the river that goes under that bridge drawing directly into the Amazon River, can actually go up and down some 45 to 50 feet annually. So those two pictures there show the difference of river level. And there's also changes, sometimes obvious, sometimes subtle, that go on in our lives in ministry. As I personally am reflecting at this stage in life, just some, some words, some terms you hear, you might think of a, of a sunset, for some of you, you may only have a few memories of sunsets. As you get more advanced, there's maybe many memories. So changes over time, as you can see the Bible Institute when it was constructed, and then more recently. But our purpose designed for the, for the building, for the location, is to, to train leaders. And as we've been discovering over the last few years, due to the age and the impact of that location. We are having to make some tough decisions about what the future of that location will look like. But our focus of training leaders, future leaders, as well as pastors, existing pastors come and study. Besides that, we do try to encourage our students. Um, We'll have one day a year that we have especially for fun activities. And even as those activities, we can teach talk about team building, how to work together. Some more pictures, but I'd like to just emphasize um, here some of our students and teachers and what they're doing for us in ministry. And then as we maybe turn toward the actual time of study, we have a library that our students will study in, and that is where Virgie actually spends uh, most of her time when the during the hours of our institute, from four in the afternoon through 10 at night. Virgie will be there in the library office, talking to students, to teachers, to family members of students in a counseling situation. We have chapel one or two times a month where we celebrate birthdays. And some of our classes will actually try to emphasize and open to the local churches, so we have a larger number of students there. In those classes, the special classes that we try and encourage leaders, future leaders, teachers. Some of our classes actually, if they're studying, for instance, in this class, they were studying how to do a daily vacation Bible school. And then during class, they went out a couple of locations and actually did a vacation Bible school. On the left, you'll see uh, one of our churches that we're connected with. One of the churches that supports our ministry, the pastor helps teach. And many students have come through that, through the institute from that church. It's where we spend much of our time attending. They just celebrated their 90th anniversary. On the right, this young man, Saul, Saul in English. One of our students getting close to graduating, if it hadn't been for the pandemic, he would have graduated. Being involved in ministry in his local church. And encouragement to us. Another one of our students that are getting close to graduating was speaking in one of our chapels and again I'll let you experience that. was a little difficult for you to catch what he was saying is because there was one of our normal, typical thunderstorms occurring at that same time. So again, we get the opportunity for our students to learn how to project their voice and to speak over the storms. Many of our local churches just have tin roofs, and the rain can be somewhat distracting. Here again on the left, uh, the the couple in the back, both of those help teach at the institute, Pastor Jairo and his wife, the guy in the front there, he's actually leading up the deaf church, deaf ministry across the street from the institute, and he should graduate in a few years. The man in the front on the right is Pastor Juan, he's the pastor of that church that I showed you a few pictures ago, also helps us teach, and then this is Pastor Manuel and his family, he also helps us teach one of the local pastors. Another area of ministry that Virgie gets involved in, besides uh, preparing food, you can't have an event in Peru without food. It just doesn't happen. So when we do our fun day or have another activity teaching, often there's food involved here. Virgie, one of our coworkers, Wendy, are preparing one of our favorite Peruvian dishes for that activity. And then she also, had the opportunity, one of our students and his wife, um, when this girl was born a few years ago, because of the influence of the Institute and ourselves, they named their daughter Deborah Virgie. And so on the right is the mother with a granddaughter. So Deborah Virgie is an aunt. And so this family, again, one of our students, an encouragement to us as we encourage them. Other opportunities for women's ministry, Virgie's involved in going to speak at ladies' meetings. You can just get a flavor of, this is one of the churches, and because of the jungle climate, it's an open structure. And so, yes, the bugs and the birds come in. They do enjoy their activities, women's activities, and Virgie has spoken to the ladies at various times. She also offered a cooking class where she prepared some cookies, showed them how to do that for some of the ladies, the first time they'd ever done any baking. And as you can see, the fellowship of enjoying the products. And then one of our other co-workers, Carol, a few weeks after that, did a class on making donuts, and Virgie got to help there. Just activities. Again, here you can see another ladies' group, where Virgie was speaking, and then they had a contest. If you answered the question wrong, the uh, other team, I guess, got to bless you with these gloves filled with powder. (laughs) Something else you may have noticed on the bridge was a contrast. Heading out, you got to see more of the jungle, the rivers, coming back in the city of Iquitos. A lot of contrasts, contrasts of culture, contrasts of education levels, those who we work with in the institute, the concepts of schedule, time, Just briefly, some of the other contrasts in Peru. The coast, interestingly, the coast of Peru is a desert. The only things that grow is where rivers come down. A lot of fishing along the coast. These are some of our memories of where we worked on the coast. But we're now in the jungle. I could wax eloquent about the history of the Inca Empire and such, but we'll just move on. So out on the rivers, a lot of ministry, past and present, takes place on the rivers. As I mentioned, it goes up and down, some 45 feet annually. So when the river's down and they want to attract tourists, they build these very much OSHA-approved walkways <laughs> to get over the swampy areas to their villages. Ideas of cuisine. Peru is known internationally for cuisine. The dish on the left is one of our favorites, called Lomo Saltado. And on the right, we just picture an interesting fact about Peru. In most of the countries of the world, well, almost all the countries of the world, Coca-Cola exists. And in the majority, if not all, but Peru, Coca-Cola was able to outsell all the loca, local drinks and become exclusive. In Peru, they could not. So Inca-Cola is still produced by Coca-Cola Company and sold in Peru and other parts of the world. Just briefly, some of the other hats that we wear. I am the um, South American liaison for what we refer to as Good Soil Evangelism Discipleship materials. I have a copy of that. And again, would love to talk more about the philosophy that we teach and the materials and tools we've developed for evangelism and discipleship. Very effective. Again, you can see the motif of the bridge on the discipleship book. Because of that, I have been involved in teaching. I've gone to Chile and Colombia and other neighboring countries to help teach this material. And then another hat I wear, actually, it's my bicycle helmet. Those of you who have followed our ministry know that I've had some health concerns over the last uh, three and a half years. I've had four pacemakers, and we're encouraged to report that as at this point, um, the last one is working correctly and I can enjoy cycling. It's a tool that I use in Peru to get out with those cyclists in the society that probably aren't believers and to make some redemptive relationships. I'm also involved in the field team leadership. So this is our Peru field team with our mission in Peru. We have about twice a year Meetings to get together. This is our group that met in Lima. And then more locally, this is our team in Iquitos. Um, as you can see in the back row, the two gentlemen that look alike, they're brothers. They're actually second generation missionaries. They grew up in the jungle. And then off to the right, uh, another missionary who grew up there. He's a second generation missionary, not with our mission, but we work with them and enjoy with, being with them a lot. He was actually the guy that was riding his bike across the bridge with me. So we're involved in ministry there in Iquitos. Um, Our job, again, is the Bible Institute. Andy and John help teach there. And then we're all involved in helping local churches. So that is a brief overview of our ministry. We do have our display table in the back. And would love to talk more as you have questions afterwards. But, as has already been brought out this morning through the songs, through our time of remembering what Christ did on the cross, I do wanna share from the word this morning. As I titled the message, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a statement that some of you may recognize John the Baptist made that statement concerning Christ. But as I reflected on that announcement, can't help but think that the people that John announced it to probably didn't grasp the full extent of that phrase. The Holy Spirit gave John those words. In fact, I'm not sure how many people in the time of John or even in the time of the apostles in the early church or today truly grasp the significance of that term, of that phrase. So I do want to spend a few minutes this morning to talk about a a significant term in Scripture. It's a term that we've actually already been exposed to this morning through song, but the word itself was not used, many synonyms were. And in fact, what I'm going to do this morning is as I teach in the Institute, I' have the opportunity of teaching many courses, teaching the entire book of Hebrews as well as Leviticus, along with many others. So in the time I have this morning, I'm going to be going over a bit of history, referring to some events in Scripture for some of you. It may be very familiar for others, may not have heard of them. So I would just use that as an encouragement for all of us to continue spending time in God's Word. There's always something we can learn about and grow through a knowledge of God's Word. But if some of the events I mention are new to you, take the time to discover them in the weeks to come. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 9 as I begin to lay out the importance of this specific word that I will mention. In Hebrews 9, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the author of Hebrews here in this section of the book has again covered much history as he presents to his audience his point about Christ being a superior high priest with a superior sacrifice. To help us understand this, again I want to Dwell just a little bit on some terms and some history. If you were to go to the dictionary and look up the words pardon and forgive, it's interesting that under pardon they refer you to forgive, and the definition for forgive refers you to pardon. So it's not that clear, even from the dictionary, those words and terms. they have the idea of forgiveness or to cease to feel resentment or to allow an offense to pass. There's another word that we don't use as much, and this is the word I'm actually going to focus on this morning, is atonement. In the dictionary, the word atonement as a verb says it's to supply satisfaction for, to expiate. And again, that term expiate might be new to you, but it is a reparation for an offence or injury, satisfaction. And I want to just think about those terms again briefly in various settings. In a social setting, we often maybe have been in a case where we've bumped into somebody or want to make it through a line and we'll just say, oh, excuse me, please. And preferably the space would open and we could pass, and that was Time of forgiveness, of pardon. We don't think about it that much in a social setting. In a financial setting, we go to a store. Now, this may be, again, dating me, but in times past, you would go to a store to buy something, and they would have an account ledger, and your purchase might be written there. Then you would receive a bill in the mail, and to that bill... Again, I'm dating myself. You would have responded by writing a check. And that check arrived at that company, and they would then in turn turn that check into their bank, and it was canceled as long as your account could cover that check. And again, in a spiritual setting, the terms such as grace, mercy, and peace are connected to this idea. When we're talking about forgiveness or pardon and atonement. These terms are connected. And as I've said, in, in the Institute, my role as a teacher, teaching both Leviticus and Hebrews, I would get to spend months covering this concept and explaining it. But this morning, again, in the Bible, there's a term that I, that I read, If we were to read chapter 16 of Leviticus, and I won't take the time this morning, but in chapter 16 of Leviticus, the majority of the chapter, the vast majority of the chapter, lays out this special day called the Day of Atonement. Moses received from God, who then instructed Aaron after the tabernacle was set up, that there was this day of atonement that was supposed to happen in the seventh month. The term in that chapter, atonement, is a special Hebrew word. Often we relate that word to the idea in English of covering. In fact, Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. In that verse, the Hebrew word behind cover is the idea of meaning to clothe or to conceal. It's an active verb, it means to cover up. But in Leviticus, the Hebrew word to cover is a word that is actually more connected to the ideas of forgiveness, expiation, as I mentioned, to reconcile. It's a word of supreme theological significance. Again, if I read the entire definition from one of my Bible dictionaries, It would talk about the many uses of how it was to cover something, to change it. And the definition ends by saying, By this imposition, sin was purged, the imposition we talked about for the Day of Atonement. And forgiven, the offenses were removed, leaving the sinners clothed in righteousness. Of course, The imposition of the blood of bulls and of goats could never fully cover our sin, as Hebrews said. But with the coming of Christ and the imposition of his shed blood, a perfect atonement was made. Again, just just a bit more history that I want to share. At this point, when Moses gave the regulations for the Day of Atonement, was supposed to happen on the seventh month. They were actually in their first month, getting ready to celebrate the second Passover. After they had left Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai, they were given the instructions, they had built the tabernacle, they were now at the place where time for the second Passover to take place. These instructions are given. Shortly after that, they leave, get ready to go into the land. And Again, those of you who remember the history, they sent in. Twelve spies, ten came back, gave a bad report, two said we can do it. The the people decided they couldn't do it. Since the spies had been in there for 40 days, God said, okay, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. It is my understanding of Scripture that that wandering began before they reached that seventh month in order to actually comply with the Day of Atonement. I would love to explain more, but the Day of Atonement was this very special day that God had made where the high priest would enter that most holy place. And through a a series of sacrifices, God had promised that all of the previous sins from the previous year would be eliminated. Visually shown by a live goat being sent off into the desert, carrying away the sins. But as I said, they they rebelled, they wandered for 40 years, they came back to the land, they conquered it, followed by a time, almost 400 years of judges, where there was a lot of rebellion. The reality is, the Day of Atonement is not mentioned in scripture from the time it was given through Moses until the author of Hebrews uses it for this illustration. It's not once mentioned. I could go into depth explaining how there was a time of over 100 years when the Ark of the Covenant was not even in the tabernacle. The Day of Atonement could not have been accomplished even if they were doing so regularly because it involved that sacrifice in the Holy of Holies with the Ark in place. After the Ark was put in the new temple by Solomon, we find the temple was closed several times, not used. And then with the deportation, I just want to explain a little bit. As you recall, the deportation when Nebuchadnezzar came, took the people to Babylon for 70 years. That 70 years, according to Jeremiah, was significant. It, the 70 years was because Israel had not been complying with several things. One key thing they were not doing was the years of Sabbath. Every seven years, there was supposed to be a year of rest declared for the land. And then every seven cycles of that, every 49 years, an extra special year called the year of Jubilee. They had not been doing that since the time of the judges. So that combined 490 years, once every seven years out of that period, they had to pay back in the time of judgment in Babylon. My point in that is that that day of rest, that year of rest, the year of Sabbath, was to be announced on the Day of Atonement. And so I strongly believe that Israel was not practicing the Day of Atonement. And after the deportation, we find when they came back and reconstructed a temple, the ark was not there. So again, for the majority of their history, they were not able to celebrate or to observe this Day of Atonement as given. And what's interesting to me is that in today's world, the Jews, the Jewish community today, when they come to that time on the calendar, they, according to Jewish tradition, actually believe that they have been practicing the Day of Atonement since Moses gave it to the children. But their focus, the focus of The Jewish community today, for the Day of Atonement, comes out of one verse, one verse in that chapter of Leviticus, and I don't, okay, but in the middle of the chapter 19 in Leviticus, it tells the people that their part of that day is to be day of fasting, and actually a, a more elevated manner of fasting. And so the Jewish society today has focused on that verse and they make it all about the people. In fact, they now go through 10 days of fasting prior to the date for the Day of Atonement. And they focus on their activity in fasting, on their humbling themselves, on what they are doing in hopes that God will give them An atonement for the coming year. Rather than recognizing that that day of atonement was really all about the sacrifice and God accepting over that mercy seat. And to bring this to today, to help us understand what we should be doing, As an application, the concept of atonement, again, let me just amplify a little bit. The idea is the payment. The word atonement, to expiate, is to make a payment. If I were to give an example of a governor or a president who has the authority to offer a pardon. There's a criminal who's in jail. They have been convicted of let's say murder, and a governor or president could have the the authority to pardon that individual. Legally speaking, they are exonerated of that crime. But the family that was affected, let's say there's a family whose child was murdered, there's no way that that family would have the same attitude toward that criminal, saying, oh, I'm going to treat you as if nothing happened. So pardon can take place on a legal setting but we don't grasp what the Bible is teaching us about atonement. When John declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I find in that phrase we, we, uh, we easily connect that with Christ as a Passover Lamb. The idea of the Passover All that happened with the Passover in Christ, we know, was sacrificed on the day of Passover, as a Passover lamb. But the connection of that goat that went off in the desert, carrying the sins, I don't think the Jewish community at the time of John caught it when he said it. And even as Christ died on the cross, I'm not sure however many of them caught the significance of that phrase. That Christ came. And so when the author of Hebrews uses that and amplifies it and gives us in this book, Christ was the better sacrifice. The one thing that he tells the Jewish believers in the first century, the reason that Christ's sacrifice was better is because it does for us something that that Day of Atonement, even if they had been celebrating it or... Um, acknowledging it correctly, what it could not do for them was to clear their conscience. Those ongoing, continual sacrifices that they were to do kept reminding them. And even the the Day of Atonement, had they been doing it, would have taken the past years, but then the next day had to start over. Christ sacrificed for us. And again, I just want you to grasp That the atonement, while it has, certainly, it has a personal ramification for us, I think there's a corporate ramification that we often miss. The body of Christ, the church, this is a local church, but as we think about all believers from all generations over the world, those suffering under persecution, the body of Christ also comes under this atonement, the work of Christ on the cross. He completely, totally, perfectly paid for all the offenses. We're also aware today in our society how the church is not able to influence the society as we ought. Again, we don't have to see the news more than five minutes to recognize how many atrocities and things of an absolute disastrous nature are happening in our society and we would like the church to influence that and as we look historically at maybe some of the failures the atonement is for the body of Christ Christ prayed that we would be one and if there's one thing that Satan uses against the church today is a lack of unity and again I understand many of the reasons but on a personal level as Pastor mentioned when we were having a time of communion, the atonement of Christ on the cross paid the price in full for our sins individually. And as we come to understand that and accept it at that moment of salvation, it doesn't end there. This reminder that we had this morning through the blood and bread The atonement will give us not only the forgiveness of our sins but a clear conscience. We have the privilege of living day to day in this sinful, sinful world knowing that we can have peace and joy. Let me just again repeat that in times past when you wrote a check and had to wait for it to to clear your account and the bill was finally canceled. That was how it was like with the Day of Atonement. They had to wait and anticipate and then hope. But for us, we essentially have our debit card with access to an ATM machine, 24-7, 365 access to an unlimited account of mercy and grace. We have access to that. We don't have to go through a priest don't have to wait till one day a year. It's for us each and every day. And I do hope that each of you are experiencing that. And again, thank you for the ministry you've had in supporting us at the Bible Institute. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again this morning for this wonderful gift that you supplied on the cross. When you suffered, you paid the price all of our sins, all of those of all the world. Thank you for that, O Lord. We just ask this morning that each of us would live in light of that, praising you and giving you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Tim, thank you very much for sharing um, and that encouragement with us. It's unfortunate in our day when we, we, use, we hear the gospel preached and we think, what else can you give us? What else is there? What other, what other things would you add to that? And fail to realize the gravity and the might and the majesty and the glory of what Christ has accomplished. Um, we're going to close here by singing this song, Is He Worthy?